0: you are now listening to the Charity Church Podcast. If you go into a jewelry store, one thing that you'll realize is they use a lot of lighting, right? They use a lot of lighting. Every single ring, every piece of jewelry is under some kind of light. They don't put them back in dark corners. And you know why that is? Presentation. Presentation is so important. It's the same thing about a restaurant. When you go to a restaurant, you order chicken, steak, or fish at every restaurant, unless you do the pork thing, every re- or tofu, if you're in that. Most of us are meat eaters around this staff anyway. But you order chicken, steak, or fish, right? And the reason you go to the restaurant that you go to is not because they serve chicken, steak, or fish. It's presentation, right? It's the way they prepare your steak. It's the way they prepare that fish. It's the way that they prepare that chicken. Nobody wants their chicken rare, right? <laughs> no, you want that thing well done. But when you go to a when you go to a restaurant, that's the thing. You go there not because they serve one of those three items necessarily. It's basically because of their Oh, I guess I need to turn the power on. Preparation and presentation. It's their preparation and presentation of that dish for you. That's why you go there. Don't things look appetizing? They're like rubber. I mean, so they're, uh, but they look so good. Um, but it's preparation and presentation. It is the seasoning and the setting. It's, it's those things, and I am having some problems. There we go. Seasoning and the setting. It's when you go to a restaurant, that's what it does for you. And here's what I love. When you sit down and you just look over the menu over and over and over, and you just don't know whether you want the steak or the salmon, all right? And you just ask the waiter or the waitress, you go, what do you recommend, And here's what normally happens. They get one of, you get one of three reactions. Either they kind of go over this pre-prepared description of the the dish of the day, and it's something that was posted back in the kitchen that the the waiters and the waitresses memorize it, and they come out there, and they just, from rote memory, they just tell you, and you just kind of have a hard time even keeping up. Or they get this little glimmer in their eye, and they go, let me tell you what I love. I absolutely love, and they start to describe the dish that they personally love the most. And you're like, okay, that sounds pretty good. And you almost feel guilty not ordering it. And then you've also got that occasional waiter or waitress and they go, I don't eat here much. (laughs) Matter of fact, I'm about sick of this food here. So I'm gonna go, I go over to the Chick-fil-A Okay, or they go to somewhere else. And, and so that's usually what you get. It, it's one of those three reactions. And the one you like the best, right, is the one that gets that little look in their eye and they kind of get their, you can almost sense they're salivating over the dish that they're describing for you that you really need to have this one. And that's the one we usually go with because we feel guilty not to, right? And you know what? As I was thinking about the message today, that came to me because several years ago, as I was reading a book on preaching, the, book, the author of the book was saying, listen, everybody is preaching scripture pretty much, but the difference between some and others is presentation. It's how well you present the word of God to other people. It's how well you present the hope of Jesus Christ to other people. And so as we look at this passage of scripture today, our lives... Are really the waiters and the waitresses in the restaurant of the gospel, so to speak, to maybe stretch an analogy further than it needs to be stretched. But in the passage that we're going to look at today, this is what Paul is writing about. It's the church of Colossae, so we're going to be in Colossians chapter four. And if you want to turn there, Colossians chapter four and five, two verses is all we want to look at today. And I just want to read through these and then come back and give you three points that I think will help us. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. And just to contextualize this word, outsiders, what he was talking about with outsiders, it's anybody who is outside of the church or outside of the faith. They're people who do not follow Jesus. They're not Christians. They're not a part of the church. They're outsiders. But the thing is, it's not a term of endearment when you go tell people, hey, you're an outsider because nobody likes to be called an outsider. You don't like to feel like an outsider. So the mission of the church is to make the outsider the insider. So we're always about trying to make the outsiders become the insiders. So we don't wanna alienate people. We don't wanna make them feel like an outsider. We wanna make them feel like we love you in spite of the fact that you may not believe like us. You don't necessarily go to church here, but... You're kind of an outsider, according to what Paul is talking about. We want you to become an insider. We're not a, a group that's exclusively us and we don't want any more, as I heard a lot growing up, or us four no more, not from our church, but people kind of had that mentality. We don't want other outsiders in. No, we want outsiders in because we want outsiders to become insiders. And so he says, you need to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. So the time that you're given here You need to view the outsider through a lens that makes the best use of your opportunities that you have with the outsiders to try to help them to become insiders. So he goes on and he says, let your speech, I think my clicker is not working right. Um, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So I think there's three things from these two verses that will help us love our city well and will help us make more outsiders become insiders. And the first one is this. The first thing that we need to do is we need to behave wisely. We need to behave, if we're gonna love our city well, we need to behave wisely. And here's how Paul put that in that verse. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. So when he talks about walk, he's talking about every aspect of our lives, right? He's talking about the way we act. He's talking about the way we react. He's talking about the way we talk. He's talking about the places that we go, the places that we don't go. He's talking about um, how we treat our spouse, how we treat our kids, how we treat our neighbor, how we treat our friends, how we treat the waiter or the waitress at the restaurant, how we treat people in our community. He's saying, when, you come, when it comes to those who are in the community, those in, who are outside the church, outside the faith, you need to pay attention to everything that you do and everything that you say, and you need to walk in wisdom. Now, wisdom, wisdom is knowledge applied, there's a lot of people who are smart, right? You can talk to some people and they're smarter or they, they act a lot smarter than they really are, but, but, but a lot of people are smart, but there's not a lot of people who are wise. Wise wisdom is taking knowledge and applying it to life. It's the ability to apply it to life. I've made this illustration before and I think it's the best one ever. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit, right? Everybody know that a tomato is a fruit? That's knowledge. If you didn't know that, you know that now. Wisdom is not going home and putting it in a fruit salad. Okay? That's knowledge versus wisdom. Knowledge and wisdom. And so knowledge is it's gaining knowledge. It's having knowledge. But wisdom is knowing how to apply that knowledge. So wisdom, in this case, wisdom is knowing what to do for the glory of God even after the rule book runs out. Now listen, we believe that, that the word of God is inerrant, it's infallible, it is God-breathed for us, it is inspired from Genesis through Revelation and we believe that. But do you know that not every single scenario that you go through in life is covered in there in black and white? You're not gonna find every single scenario in there. But what wisdom is, is knowing the word of God enough and knowing what, it, what to do for the glory of God even after the rule book runs out or even when you don't see that written out for you. I like things to be written out very plainly for me. I mean, I want yes or no. I want black and white. I just, I just like things to be very plain. But there are times that it's not that way. It feels gray, It feels like we need to take a moment and we go, in light of the future, what should I do in this situation? In light of my hopes and dreams or in light of what I'm wanting to accomplish, what should I do in this scenario? So it's knowing how to become all things to all people without compromising holiness and truth. How do we become all things to all people so that by all means we might save some, as Paul talks about But we do that without compromising ever on our holiness or on the truth of the word of God. That's what it is. And here's what the book of Proverbs, which is the book of wisdoms, says about that. The fruit of righteousness is a tree of life and whoever captures souls is wise. Now, when I was growing up, this verse, we read it out of the King James. It says, and whoever wins souls is wise, or whoever winneth souls is wise. And so we use that verse to say that if you wanna win, go soul winning, and that was a term to, to reach people with the gospel, it's soul winning, this verse was the verse that we used. So, but, but what it really means, it's so much more than just that. It means to be, live such a righteous life that your life is attractive, and that you attract or take, three, take people through an attractive, righteous life. And so as you and I live in a world that is increasingly more unrighteous, we live a righteous life, but we live it in such a way that's attractive, that we capture the souls of those who are the outsiders. And I believe that if we look in the Word of God and we, we even look in life, there are four sources of wisdom. And the first one is this. The first source of wisdom is scripture. It's scripture. And if you look at Psalm chapter 19, verse seven, here's what it says. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. When we look at the word of God, it is beneficial for wisdom for us to glean and gain so much wisdom. As a matter of fact, the book of Proverbs has 31 chapters in it. You may already know this, but if you don't, it's helpful. 31 chapters in it, and Proverbs is known as the book of wisdom, just little nuggets. You can just read two or three verses, maybe sometimes one, and you can just get so much wisdom from that. And so if you look at it, there's 31 chapters. So every single day of the month, there's a different pro- proverb that would correspond with that date. So today is the ninth. So you go to Proverbs chapter nine and you can just read through there and there's probably one of those verses or a couple of verses that you would be able to use to gain some wisdom. So the number one source of wisdom for us is scripture. The second one is this, it's prayer, it's prayer. And listen, prayer is a great source of wisdom. As a matter of fact, here's what James said in James chapter one, verse five, he says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, anybody here lack wisdom? I know I do. He says, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. So when you lack wisdom, when you feel like you need wisdom in a situation, you can go to scripture, but you can certainly go to God in prayer. As a matter of fact, whenever Solomon was becoming king, you know what the number one thing that he asked for? He wanted wisdom. He wanted wisdom so that he would know how to rule over the people of Israel. And God gave him that. He was the wisest man to ever live. And so I constantly seek God for wisdom. When it comes to leading the church, when it comes to leading my family, when it comes to just living my life, I want wisdom. And James says, if you lack it, ask for it because God loves to give this out liberally. He loves to give it out generously. So we got four sources of wisdom. We got scripture, we've got prayer. And then number three, we have sound counsel. If you look around this room, there is a lot of wisdom in the room and it usually shows up in gray hair, right? Those of us who have a little bit, we go. Tom, you're getting more and more, in here, buddy. It's showing up. You got that grandbaby now. It, that pulls the wisdom right out. And the pastorate does it too. Yeah, I feel like a president. You ever look at a president from the first year of office to the fourth or eighth, and how much they gray? You look at me about a few years ago before I became pastor. Y'all giving me so much wisdom, so much wisdom. But here's what it says. If you look um, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 15, verse 22, without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. If you ever get ready to do a project at home, or just get ready to do a project in general, maybe at work, man, the more people you can ask before you can begin that process, the better off you are. My son was putting together a a, a little swing set, one of those that you you ordered online, it's got all those wooden pieces and you gotta follow the directions that really make no sense whatsoever. He called me to help him. And the reason he wanted me to help him is because I had put one together at our house a couple of years ago. And so as we're going through the instructions, he's skipping things. And I'm telling him, hey, you need to pay attention to what size screw that is, because if you use the wrong one, you're going to need that one later. And so my wisdom in having done that before was a big help in trying to put that swing set together. And so we need to understand that if we don't have wisdom, our plans May fail. If we don't get counsel from other people, our plans will fail. But with many advisors, they will have more of a, an opportunity to succeed. So we got scripture, we've got prayer, we got sound counsel, and number four, we have life experiences. And I know there's some life experiences in here. If you're over about the age of 40, maybe even younger than that, you realize more increasingly more how much life experience really you do have. Even into your 30s, you start to realize it. But I think once you cross over that 40 mark, there's just something about it. You go, when you're in your 20s, you think you know it all. If you're a 20-year-old, I don't mean to offend, but but that's kind of where I was. I just felt like I had it all figured out. I I pretty well had it all figured out. When I got into my 30s, I started going, hmm, there's a lot about raising kids I didn't know. Because when I was a youth pastor, I didn't have, I mean, I had kids, but I didn't have teenagers. And I used to tell parents all the time how they ought to raise their kids. Because I was an expert I was the youth pastor. Oh, friends, Grant and Fisher, y'all are smart, okay? But I thought I had it figured out and I could tell parents how to do it. When When my kids started being teenagers, I was like, hmm, there is no rule book on this. There is no rule book. We're kind of feeling our way through this. And you know what we would do? We'd go find some wise counsel. I would sit with some older people. I would talk to Tracy's dad. I would talk to my dad. We'd talk to our parents about that because they had some life experiences, And the older I get, the more I realize I don't know. But I've got some life experiences that have really helped me. And here's what Hebrews chapter number five, verse 14 says. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good, from evil, And I love the way the writer of Hebrews puts this. This solid food is for the mature. This is, there's some life experiences that we have. And for those who have their powers of discernment trained, it feels like a superpower, doesn't it? The life experience almost sometimes feels like a superpower. So you've had the powers of discernment trained by constant practice. Several years ago, my wonderful son-in-law built me a table for our house, built one for Tracy and me. And they have the, it has that bench on one side and chairs on the other. And that bench on one side had some feet on it that stuck out far. And I don't know how many times I stubbed my toe on that sucker in the middle of the night or early in the morning. And I, there was a couple of times, probably under my breath, I cussed Colby Taylor. <laughs> Never said it out loud, okay. But there was some, But you know what? After a few times of hitting my toe on that, it don't happen anymore. Why? Because of the practice. <laughs> because I've practiced enough. I've got some experiences. And as you go through life, you're gonna stub your toe enough to where you're gonna have some life experiences. And you've got some life experiences to offer some other people some wisdom. And if you're going through life, look around the room and look for the gray hair. Look for the people who have the life experiences because that's where you can glean a whole lot of wisdom. So when it comes to outsiders, we as followers of Jesus who are the insiders, who want the outsiders to become the insiders, we need to just behave wisely. Live your life wisely and look for those sources. The second thing is this. We need to speak tastefully. And this is where most of us hang up, okay? I mean, for the most part, we're, we're, we behave to some degree wisely. But this area right here, we all struggle with this, right? It's speaking tastefully. If you really want to love your city well, you need to speak tastefully. And here's what our passage says in Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be gracious. Always be gracious. When they deserve it, be gracious. No, always be gracious. When they get my food right, be gracious. No, always be gracious. So everywhere you go, let your speech always be Gracious, and then he says, "Seasoned with salt." I love salt on food, right? I love salt on watermelon. Anybody else love salt on watermelon? These, are, this is. Hold your hands up. And if you're looking for wisdom, this is where it is. Okay, we put salt on watermelon. My grandson Porter, to this day, I put watermelon in front of him and say, "You want me to put some salt on it?" He goes, "Ew!" One of these days, this seven-year-old is going to get wise, and he's going to try it, and he's going to absolutely. Love it. But salt is really for two reasons. It's a preservative and it's an additive. It kept food from spoiling and it added flavor to food. So as Christians, what we need to realize is that our speech, the way that we talk, when we talk tastefully, it is a preservative and it's also an additive. It preserves the gospel to some degree. The way that you talk is preserving the gospel for the ears of the person who is listening to you talk. And it also, our lives add season to the gospel. Not that the gospel needs anything, but it's our presentation of the gospel that we need. So what we need to make sure we do is don't spoil the gospel with unwholesome or corrupt language. Because sometimes it's hard for people to hear about our faith because they listen to our language. They listen to our gossip. They listen to our slander. They listen to our crudeness. They listen to our cursing. They listen to our negativity. Basically, they listen to our opinions too often. And so when we go to share the gospel or we try to share the hope or we try to invite them to church, we spoil the message of the gospel because of our unwholesome talk and the corrupt language that we had. So our language in that case is not a very good preservative for the gospel but here's what we should do. We should always speak as though we have recently been with the Lord and we've tasted and seen that he is good. Amen. And this may be the biggest reason we don't have good, talk, good speech to those outside the church is because we don't spend enough time with God. Psalm chapter 34, verse eight says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's that waiter or that waitress who has eaten from the restaurant. And they go, you know what? I love the steak here. It is absolutely the best steak you'll ever put in your mouth. And you're like going, well, order me one of those. And how do you like it cooked? I mean, somebody was telling me recently about a restaurant they went to and they, he said, I would never order a pork chop. But the way the waiter described the pork chop, I couldn't help but order the pork chop. And that's what we are with the gospel. We should speak in such a way to convince people that we have recently sat at the feet of Jesus and we have tasted and we have seen that the Lord is good. Even in the midst of struggles, even in the midst of disappointments, even in the midst of heartaches, we should taste and see that the Lord is good good. So we need to behave wisely. We need to speak tastefully. And the last thing is this, we need to answer personally. We need to, we need to contextualize what it is we are presenting. If we're going to love our city well, we have to answer personally. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Here's what he said in Colossians 4, 6. He says, so that, so you have your speech always gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Because you know what? Each person is different. And each situation is different. I was a car salesman for about two and a half years of my life. And uh, it was a long two and a half years, but it was a fun two and a half years in that sense of selling cars. Because I got to sell BMWs and Volvos. I think they're two of the finest cars on the planet. And so, Our manager told us spend time in these cars, go drive these cars, spend time with them. Because whenever you have a customer, you need to convince them that this is better than a Mercedes. You need to convince them that it's better than an Audi. You need to convince them that it's better than anything else out there. And you need to spend some time so that you can believe that and you can convince them. But the first thing you need to do is build some rapport with them. You need to know what it is they're looking for in a luxury car. And so I would ask a lot of questions to try to tailor my presentation of a BMW 7 Series that at that time was about a $70,000 car. How would I tailor my presentation to fit the need of this mother who's coming in here and she's got two kids that are gonna be in car seats. How do I tailor my presentation for them? And so I would answer them according to how I thought they needed or what they needed in that particular automobile. It's the same thing in a restaurant. When you go in there, they ask you, how do you like your steak? And you either go, I like it rare. I like it medium rare. I like it medium, medium well, or well done, or shoe leather, one or the other. And you hope that they'll go in there and prepare it the right way. But I love it when I go to a restaurant and they'll go, I want mine... Medium rare, but just a little bit more. And I'm like, they gave you five choices. And you're gonna go, I want it just one degree hotter than medium rare. And I'm like, okay, but, but a good restaurant will do their best to satisfy that desire, right? Because they wanna tailor the food to your preference. I like my um, salmon rare or, or uncooked, raw, on a bed of rice in the form of sushi. Can I get an amen right there? Come on, somebody. I like it that way, but Tracy doesn't. She's gonna go get a California roll every single time. So you go in there and you want them to tailor that that dining experience to you. As Christians, we need to know how we ought to answer each person. That way, we are a good presenter of the gospel to them. Listen, the gospel is the same and Christ is the same, but our presentation should be made to order. That means you've got to learn how to listen to the other person, learn to listen to their story, and then learn to share your story and how your story proclaims his story. Most people are not good listeners. Most of us are terrible listeners. We are only listening long enough for it to trigger a thought in our mind, and then we're just going to talk over the next person, and we're going to make it all about us. Well, let me just challenge you. Learn how to be a good listener. If you've never read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, you need to read it. It's an oldie, but a goodie. And it will teach you how to be a better listener. But we need to learn to listen to people's story. Why do they need the gospel? Absolutely because they're a sinner. But there may be something else in their story that you can pick up on that will make you realize, hey, this is where I found some hope in Jesus. And you can start to tell your story in light of their story so that you can tell his story of redemption, of salvation, of hope in the midst of life. And what we really need to learn to do when it comes to our Christian faith and those who are outsiders who we want to become insiders is we need to realize that all of us at one time were dead in our trespasses. And our sin That's the passage that, that Sean shared earlier. We're, we were dead in our trespasses and our sins, but through Christ, what? We were made alive. And somebody came along somewhere and performed CPR on our dead bodies. And that's what we as Christians, we need to learn Christian CPR. And here's what we mean by that. It means to cultivate, plant, and to reap. Cultivate, plant. Plant and reap. What I mean by that, we need to learn how to cultivate good relationships. We need to hear, learn how to behave wisely, speak tastefully, so that we can cultivate healthy relationships. So that when we do decide that we want to reap the hope or plant the hope of the gospel in a conversation, it falls on listening ears because they know we care for them. Then we know they, they they know we genuinely care for them because we've cultivated. Our relationship with them. And we plant the hope of the gospel through our conversations. And then eventually, it may be you, it may be somebody else, we reap by inviting them to become followers of Jesus. Or we invite them to church. We invite them to become an insider. And we want them to feel like they may not be an insider, but we as insiders absolutely love The outsiders, and we want all outsiders to become insiders. And we do that by behaving wisely, speaking tastefully, and then answering personally toward every single person we come into contact with. Because we are representatives of Jesus Christ. We are the waiters and the waitresses walking around trying to convince people that we have been with the Savior, that we have tasted and seen that the Lord is is good. And you should come try. You should come be a part of the family of God because it is a good place to be. I'm not dining at other restaurants because this one is just perfect. Everything that I need is right here. So as you think about that, let me give you a couple of questions to think about and ponder. Number one, what does your presentation of Christ look and taste like to the city around you? Are they turned off? Do you give off a, a repugnant taste to the world around us? And they would say, I would know nothing to do with Christianity because of the way that person talks, the way they act and the way they live. What kind of taste are you giving to the world around us? Could someone talk to you and walk away with a good taste in their mouth about Christ? Would they believe that you've been with the Lord? So practice telling your story and be reminded of the goodness of God in your life. Practice telling your story. I mean, really, this afternoon, tell your story to somebody. Be reminded of why you came to Christ in the first place. If you're like me, it's been 40 years since I, put, since I, since I was saved at 12 years old. It's been 40 years. I have to remind myself, hey, listen, I don't want what the world has to offer. Because being in the family of God is great for me. I love our church. I love what God has done for my family. I love what God has done for me, what he's carried me through. And listen, I need to practice telling my story so that other people can be reminded of the goodness of God in my life. And then finally, who has God put in your path for you to cultivate a relationship with? Begin that CPR process to cultivate, plant, and reap, but God has called you. He's put you in the path of so many people that you can just begin to cultivate that relationship with. And listen, if you're here in the room today or if you're watching online, we would love to help you come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior, to cross over and become an insider that we've been talking about today because it is good to be on the inside and we want you to be there. So if you'd like to begin that relationship with Christ, hey, Chat with us online, let us know that you're there. Or if you're here in the building, meet us in the guest VIP room, or you're always welcome to meet us right down here in the front. And we'd love to talk to you about that. But let's stand together as we close out. Father, we love you and we're so thankful for you. God, we are just so prayerful that we could let our speech be seasoned with salt. God, so that we can make the most use of our time in the world that you've placed us in. In a city that we love, in the city that we want to reach with the gospel, the gospel of hope, the gospel of salvation. So God, I pray that we would be wise, wise in everything that we do and in everything that we say. And if there's someone here today that needs you as their savior, my prayer today is that they would confess you as Lord and believe in you with all their heart. In Jesus' name.